0: Welcome to Talking About Blood. I'm Helen Osborne, host of this podcast series and a member of the advisory board for The Blood Project. I also produce and host my own podcast series about many aspects of health communication and it's called Health Literacy Out Loud. The Blood Project's website includes a lot of important science and medical information. This often focuses on the interplay of humanities and science. A stellar example of doing so is today's topic, the art of creating fake blood for theatric productions. Our guest is Jeremy Chernick, who has been designing special effects and theatrical moments for more than 25 years. His work has been featured in over 50 Broadway productions many of which have been reproduced and recreated across the globe. From eye-popping stage effects and magic to minimalist and subtle moments, Jeremy seamlessly incorporates special effects into productions. This includes his work crafting the stage blood used in the Broadway show Sweeney Todd. Well, I not only find this topic absolutely fascinating... I also have tickets to see Sweeney Todd on Broadway. (laughs) Welcome, Jeremy, to Talking About Blood. Thank you,
1: Helen. I'm excited to talk about blood.
0: So uh, you're the only one doing what you're doing I've ever talked to in my whole life. How does one get into the art of creating fake blood?
1: This is a great question, and I don't know that there's a single answer, but I know my answer.
0: I I want to hear yours, yeah.
1: Um. So I was working in theater. Uh. This is in around, I would guess, 2003. And I had made a bunch of my own sort of wacky shows in the late 90s into 2000 that used a fair amount of blood and gore. Um, and as theatrical tools, and um, it was in 2003 that I was asked by a producer friend of mine at Lincoln Center to make 2,000 gallons of blood. Um, 2,000 gallons of blood for a dollar seventy-five a gallon, and could I do it? Could I figure out a recipe that would would do that for them? And so I was. I said, "Sure, of course." And then I experimented <laughs> with recipes, using peanut butter, using corn syrup, using all different types of different pigments and paint products. And yeah. um, and I showed up at with like gallon buckets of different types. <laughs> and this director, who was a Chinese director named Chen Shizhen would like stick his hand in and say, like, "Oh, this is too runny," or "The color is." Wrong, And we would settled on a blood and then I made 2000 gallons of blood with uh, the help of many stagehands. And essentially, okay. in this show called The Orphan of Zhao, uh, we made a 2000 gallon lake of blood that the actors would <laughs> walk through to get up onto the stage. So.
0: They, so they'd walk through. So wait, I'm just trying to picture this. Yes. I can't even picture what 2,000 gallons of blood looks like. I can just picture those containers like people drum on on Broadway. No, you know, those, I think like-
1: so. It was like um, it was a thrust stage at LaGuardia High School. So I would say that the stage was like 25 or 30 feet wide um, okay. by probably um, 25 or 30 feet in depth and the blood itself was like ankle deep so the actors would literally walk through this ankle deep pond but when you walked into the theater the the lake was still so it was almost like a shiny red surface with a white platform in the middle and that platform was i think about eight feet by eight feet and the actors would would wade through this blood and then they would step up onto the platform and they were moving in very specific patterns in which to sort of leave patterns of blood on the stage.
0: So there's no going to Dr. Google to figure out how to do um, all those thousands of gallons of blood 20 years ago. So, but you did it and you said it was a fantastic show. So whatever recipe you cooked up, not even knowing what you were doing, or you knew a little bit, it worked. (laughs) It worked. Now it's 20 years later, you are doing it from the most spectacular productions. You are known for this. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about the story.
1: So, I mean, it's all a bunch of fun experiments and accidents in some ways. So in a good way, that was a really excellent sort of start off to that career because I did make my own blood and that blood was made out of High fructose corn syrup and the pigment used in children's finger paint. Um, so, oh, not the finger okay. paint itself, but the pigments that are used, because that will okay. tend to come out of uh, fabrics and stain, and it won't stain as much. Because, fake, oh,
0: you had to worry about staining too. Staining of
1: skin. Actors don't like to be, you know, pink or orange, depending on the consistency of the blood. And so we worried about staining and we worried. And then on top of that, actually, the show was very short. I think it only ran for two weeks. But we were worried about all kinds, you know, we're in New York City, we were worried about are there going to be bugs in the blood, or what else could be in the blood? Oh, None because- of that ever happened. I'm like knock on wood; it was not a biological catastrophe. It ended up just being fine. Um, and okay. and strangely, that job I didn't realize when that producer called me and asked me to do that, I didn't realize that there were many other people who had actually wanted that job, who were older than I am and and much more seasoned and um, okay. and I got that job because I was young and excited and willing to experiment in a way that And
0: do it for a dollar seventy five
1: and more importantly, do it for a dollar seventy five and pretty much from right. that moment on, I have been doing special effects, and I've learned a ton since then. Special effects covers a lot of things that aren't blood, like fog and smoke and pyrotechnics and flame and okay. raining on stage and. I it's snow on stage. I do all of that, but this is a podcast about blood. So it is. So I can talk about how blood in many, many ways has been the sort of through line to much of my career, actually. Which is
0: I uh, was going to say it was the lifeblood of your career. It even but I, better. I probably shouldn't say, <laughs> no, probably so shouldn't say that once. So So hear me, when we started talking about this, you were telling me that Fake blood is truly fake. It's not built in, building in the properties of real blood. I think that our podcast listeners would be really interested in that. And our podcast listeners, many of them are hematologists, been working in blood and focus on blood their whole medical career. They might also be those entering the science and people just like me are totally curious about this. But what properties do you look for in fake blood? And how is that like or unlike real blood?
1: So um, the science behind how actual blood works is not anything that I pay any attention to, actually. So, (laughs) So blood as a theatrical element is very much a product that needs to tell the story in any environment that I'm working in. So that could be comedy. It could be tragedy. It could be you know, realistic, and I'm putting that in quotes, violence. It's used in so many different ways in our entertainment environment. And I've sort of become a student of those different ways in which it can behave and different ways it it can be symbolic in storytelling.
0: Please. Give us an example. Yeah, absolutely,
1: I mean, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm guessing that the blood that I would tend to use on stage is 100% thicker than real blood would ever be. Um, okay, I think it behaves in ways that pop culture has it told us it's supposed to behave. Meaning, from the earliest days where blood was used, which was in black and white, or even before that, in the earliest days, I think of what I know as blood on stage. You would take a handkerchief out of your shirt and it. Mm-hmm. reveal a red handkerchief and in Hitchcock there would you know in the shower scene there was sort of the handprints and there was like mild splatter uh Quentin there's Quentin Tarantino who splatters blood like it's in buckets everywhere and so I, I tend to look at the storytelling and the scenes in those ways as well so um So I have done, I'm going to tell a few different versions. I I did a production of The Exorcist a couple of years ago, and it was very abstract. And over the stage was a tremendous cross. It was like a 12-foot cross, almost like a ceiling piece over the stage. And Mm -hmm. at the final moment of The Exorcist, as the, the main priest takes in the spirit of the devil and frees the girl Reagan from, from her possession, the cross had to bleed and they wanted the cross to bleed out of the, it's sort of tilted at a 45 degree angle uh, with the Mm -hmm. high point towards the audience. And they wanted the blood to kind of pour out of it and they wanted it to pour out and be symbolic of This sort of violence of the moment, but they also wanted it to feel like the blood or the wine that you would pour in a communion. And so oh, okay. we played around with consistency and how rich a red color we could get for a long time because that, the way it poured and the way it flowed was important to the entire storytelling process to sort of blur the lines between wine and blood. So there's an Can example. And I just, I, I, yeah. I
0: have an image of that. Is that the last scene in the show? Because what do you do after the blood like drips all over that, the stage? Do people walk through it like a rain?
1: You're asking. Asking all the right questions so these are the okay. questions that I have to ask to, of myself in this particular case it fell through a grate so there was sort of grating on the stage that it poured through but yes it was the second to last scene of the show and the sh- okay. and the scene that followed it was very still and no one was really tromping around potentially getting their footprints in all the blood but You asked a great question (laughs) because I have to think about not just the scene where the blood occurs and we can talk about Sweeney Todd in terms of this because it's the perfect one. Oh, I want to hear
0: about Sweeney Todd. Yeah, Yeah.
1: it's the perfect one. But you have to consider how does that blood get on stage before it's seen by the audience? How does it get released? Where does it go and how do we control where it goes? And Uh you know, what happens in the following scene. So in Sweeney is very specific. You know, he's a barber, he slits throats. That's what he does. Traditionally, I also tried to break some of the rules that have traditionally gone with Sweeney Todd because I'm a rule breaker by nature. So Sweeney Todd traditionally was always done with a razor blade that squirted blood out of it. So that the actor would hold the razor blade and it would squirt a thin line of blood onto a person's neck. But I felt that in sort of our modern, more modern version, people wanted more out of our razor blade, out of the bleeding than they got from that just thin (laughs) slice. So Nothing subtle, huh? No, no subtlety. Also, it puts a lot on the actor playing Sweeney, in this case, Josh Groban, to have to manipulate mm-hmm. a prop that could be dripping and leaking all over him. And, and I just okay. felt like Josh has got to act. He's got to sing. He's, there's a lot of action that he's already responsible for. Let's take this part uh-huh. away and give it to the other actor. All right. So the way that that's sort of carried out is that the blood is in the barber cape. So there's
0: a a, oh in the barber cave yes because we had to
1: put that around their neck and it's right there at the neck and so and then the actor who's actually getting their throat slit can control that instead of (laughs) the actor playing Sweeney and how
0: how how I know I want to know what (laughs) the logic
1: well you won't be able to see because they're that good but there's a mechanism in there that that essentially has a small pressurized amount of blood and the actor flips a switch. But as they're as they're moving that cape around prior to it going on stage onto the actor, it's got blood in it. Like they're very careful. Everyone's working really hard to make sure that it's very subtle and it's. But they're also the capes are all piled and folded perfectly so that it's a really Mm -hmm. easy move to just go onto the person's neck and then. You know, at the cued moment, the actor releases the blood and the cape, you know, essentially the blood pours down the cape. And then the question was, how much? Well, we don't want it pouring all over the floor (laughs) because it's um, the blood is it can be sticky. And and therefore, for the rest of the show, if it's on the floor, when an actor steps in it, you get this noise. (laughs) As their feet are sort of <laughs> sticky. We don't want blood on the floor for a musical because there's a lot of dancing involved. So we. Oh my. Goodness. Yeah, so we made sure that the cape, a, they're seated so their cape catches most of the all of the blood.
0: Oh, um, okay.
1: There's also absorb the cape is made of very absorbent fabric that uh, the blood uh-huh. will soak into, um, and we uh-huh. even spray the capes with a little bit of water before they go on stage, so they're slightly damp, so that the water blood okay. actually soaks in even quicker because the the water sort of oh, helps goodness. to absorb it. So. These are the layers in which we go through to just do some funny and horrifying throat slitting in a musical. (laughs) (laughs)
0: And this is what you do for a living. This is what I I do for
1: a living. We also played with consistency. So we played with how much water to blood mixture so that it flows correctly. It has to happen in a musical session. So in other words, he does the action and then there's only a few musical beats until those performers are disposed of in Sweeney Todd. So you need to see the blood and it needs to be over in, you know, only a certain amount of musical counts. So we're, we're oh, working within the counts of music to make sure that like, okay, we can see enough blood, we see it happen, and now we've moved
0: on. <laughs> I love this. I have so many questions <laughs> to ask you. Now, you talked about abstract. You yes. talked about blood in a musical. You talked about funny or tragic mm-hmm. or, you know, is there another story you want to share? I'm-
1: um, I mean, theatrically, blood means so many different things. So I certainly have done my fair share of shows that are really supposed to horrify, um, mm-hmm. both in terms of actual feeling like a horror. And that was well, done. tell
0: us about a little bit of horror. Yeah, it's sure. It's my so, thing, but yeah, I'm sure other it, people want to hear.
1: I did a production of um, Let the Right One In which is a vampire story. Um, Uh And in that particular show, it's called Let the Right One In because the vampire in vampire lore has to get invited in. If they're not invited in, then it's very painful for them. In that particular show, the main characters uh, appeared to be a very young girl who was the vampire, Uh and she was not invited in, and she came in anyway. And... I had built this very complex apparatus that actually lived inside of her hair so that as she walked in, she appeared, she acted like she was in a lot of pain, a lot of agony, and then her face just suddenly bled. And so literally you couldn't see this apparatus underneath her hair but then her blood essentially poured down her face that's a horror i did a very realistic show there's often very realistic gun violence was popular it's less popular yeah. now but there're certainly mm-hmm. shows written with realistic gun violence that is telling a very short a terrible and short story um but we mm-hmm. need that that often requires a certain level of what I guess would be called movie realism. I doubt it's anything like realistic gunshots. Okay. We definitely try and tell that story in the most terrifying way. Honestly, also the sound of a gunshot in any theater is a terrifying thing, no matter what you do. And I imagine it's ta- the sound of a gunshot in any real environment is also terrible, mm-hmm. but that's certainly something that unfortunately has to be addressed in theater. And then There are lots of, I would say, dark comedies that are full of blood, whether they're Shakespeare or, um, you know, The Lieutenant of Inishmore is a show Mm -hmm. that's just full of violence for...
0: uh, Oh, I just watched that movie. Yeah, yeah,
1: in in a very dark way. So the way that it's used is honestly different every time. And for me, the excitement is how do we deliver it? What is the system Mm -hmm. that gets it there? And what is the impact A good example of that experimentation is I did um, Macbeth a little more than a year ago. um, And it starred Daniel Craig. And that was, Mm -hmm. Macbeth is a terribly bloody show, no matter how you slice it. No pun intended. (laughs) Um, But Daniel Craig really wanted to die as Macbeth in a very gruesome way. Uh And he died by being, uh, he wanted to be stabbed in the groin. And mm-hmm. then remove the knife from his groin and really have a ton of blood come pouring out. Um, mm-hmm. And so we—he did that up against the wall, so we were able to push, you know, essentially pump blood through the wall. But at first, we—this is where the weird experimentation is. For one, every okay. time you do it, you're covered in blood. You have to get all cleaned up and start again. It's quite the—it's you know, quite the process. But
0: you mean every time you practice every it?
1: time you practice, yeah because you can't once every, okay. once you're fully covered in fake blood, you're just covered, you can't quite see the same way. So you need to start sort of with fresh okay. clothing. but I kept having the water kind of pour down like a faucet and it never looked real. Mm-hmm. and it like in a moment of frustration, I said, what if we pumped it up into his pants? <laughs> would it look better, and literally, so we took the whole faucet apparatus and just turned it so that instead of shooting yeah. down at the floor, it was now shooting up into his crotch, and it uh-huh. looked terrible, like the blood would spray everywhere so the 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 experimentation is sort of the fun of finding the realism or the sort of abstract realism in this case of of fake blood.
0: I love your stories. I can't even <laughs> imagine what it's like for you if you're slicing a bagel and you cut your finger a little bit. If you look at it and it probably looks nothing like your oozing, spurting, bright nothing. red, goopy blood.
1: <laughs> nothing. It is nothing. I, I Unfortunately, I've seen people who are actually bloody. I assume we all have, but I've seen people who have actually been cut or injured in some way. And mm-hmm. I'm amazed at how much blood is suddenly there and how you don't see it thickly dripping. It's very, mm-hmm. it's so much thinner, and, uh, and it clots so much faster than fake blood, which doesn't clot at all.
0: <laughs> no, I could keep listening to your stories, but I don't <laughs> want to keep holding you up. I think you've shared these wonderful examples. Our listening audience, as I told you, mm-hmm. a lot of them practicing hematologists. Quite a few are people entering into the health world, whether they're in medical school or residency or just thinking about going into a health profession, and those just with a big curiosity out there. Is there anything you'd want any of us to know about blood from your perspective of someone who tries to embody it in different forms?
1: (laughs) I mean... For me, it's a storytelling device and in no way okay. representational of anything realistic. Even when okay. we're going for what I would call realism, mm-hmm. often when I make a, something that's theatrical real, theatrically realistic or not, even if I've researched what it might look like in real life, once mm-hmm. we look at it on stage or on film, it never looks realistic to us. The real, Um, the way that blood really seems to behave has nothing to do with what we've been trained that blood behaves like. And it's absolutely a fascinating thing and somewhat dark to look at some of the things that we're trying to recreate and trying to find some, you know, photo or video research of it. And every time I'm like, oh my god, I should never look at this. It's not helpful at all. Blood behaves so much. This is such a different world than this strange story that I'm very specifically trying to tell. It's just not at all related. And so when you see theatrical blood, don't judge us for our (laughs) being totally wrong. We're just trying to tell a story.
0: (laughs) And you're a wonderful storyteller and I can't wait to see Sweeney Todd. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, thank you for sharing with us kind of the inside story of what happens and that external story. I don't know if any of us will be the same theater goers after hearing you as we were before. I think when I'm sitting in my seat, I'm going to keep looking like what's under that cape that the (laughs) person about to die is wearing. Jeremy, you are terrific. Thank you so much for being a guest on Talking About Blood. Thanks, Helen. As we just heard from Jeremy Chernak, it's interesting and important to be thinking about fake blood, too. How blood is depicted in movies and in theatric presentations. But to learn more about the real side of blood, go to The Blood Project and explore its many resources for professionals and trainees and patients. That's at thebloodproject.com. I invite you to also listen to my podcast series about health communication, and that's at healthliteracyoutloud.com. Please help spread the word about this podcast series, Talking About Blood and The Blood Project. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Helen Osborne.